This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Paul Rupert is the founder and CEO of Rupert Organizational Design, as well as CEO of the advocacy startup, Respectful Exits, a company promoting the rights of aging workers by improving retirement options. Paul spent 15 years building innovative San Francisco nonprofit organizations in areas such as healthcare, legal services, publishing, and addiction treatment. He joined New Ways to Work, San Francisco's flexible work think tank, in 1986 to promote flexible work in major companies. In 2000, he opened his own firm in Washington, D.C., Rupert Organizational Design, where he developed customized initiatives for a hundred major clients that integrate online guidance and training for all forms of flexible work, including phased retirement. His client list ranges from Aetna, Amgen, and the IMF to PNC Bank, Sodexo, and Xerox. Paul and I discuss the various ways in which those nearing the old standard retirement age of 65, can continue to add significant value beyond that time to their employers, and the costs to organizations of letting go these so-called expensive older employees. For those seniors interested in extending their working lives, Paul outlines various strategies that one can propose to one's employer and the importance of, well, doing one's homework before making such a pitch. There's a method and you can learn it or teach it to somebody who you know and care about who could benefit from learning this method. Paul sees older employees seeking phased retirement and other creative options as an outgrowth an outgrowth, rather, of the of the types of flexibility that, that working women have been pushing for and that now young fathers are advocating for as well. It's a flexibility movement. He describes his handy self-help online tool for assisting people in working through the steps to make an effective proposal for phasing in retirement. It's called Phaser, P-H-A-Z-E-R. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you would rate it and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen, so others are then more likely to find and enjoy it as well. And now, get set to listen to and learn from an expert on how anyone can remain working on a job in which they've developed wisdom and institutional knowledge It's Paul Rupert. Paul, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. So um, there's there's so many things I want to ask you about. Let me just start, though, with the big question. What's the most important issue 
people face as they near uh, what they think of as retirement in in their life planning and their thinking? What's the the biggest problem? I think for us, uh, I, I would define the most pressing problem as the ability to extend your work life. Hmm. That uh, that is to say, the companies have traditionally, meaning for decades tended to start letting people go in their early uh, early to mid-50s or their early 60s at the latest. Mm-hmm. And when people were basically living um, into their 60s, 70s, there was a brief retirement, and then they passed, and life went on without them. These days, people are living at least 10 years longer, in many cases, 20 years longer. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, the habit we have gotten into, the assumptions we make, are that people are done working still in their 50s or early 60s. That's not a, that model, I think, is broken. Mm-hmm. I, I heard you mention, I've read Mark's uh, Friedman, mm-hmm. I've followed his encore work. Mm-hmm. We, we tend, in our, in our business, we think there are a whole bunch of organizations who are dealing what we call the second act. That mm-hmm. is helping people figure out what to do after right. you leave that job that you've been in for a long time. And we we're saying we think those are great organizations, absolutely pressing. However, people. but our focus is on is on postponing that second act. <laughs> ah, and that that the re, there is no reason that perfectly. Not only if we were living longer and being sicker and more fragile and um, uh, and, and more unproductive as we aged, right. and getting rid of us in our 50s would still make sense. But we're not. In fact, the you know today's 65-year-old is probably healthier than last uh, two decades ago's 55. Right. People are, are more vibrant. They still can contribute, and there's an argument that they are actually more valuable. Um, given their knowledge and expertise, I certainly think that about myself, Paul. I, I would think. I mean, I you know, I, <laughs> I will say this, <laughs> um, Stu. I, I've known of your work. We we've actually, I think, once casually ran into each other uh-huh. at some event, but we, yes. we've, we've not known each other. I think we know of each other. Yes, but but true. I, no, but I've I've watched your career and and you. Um, you know, so far, no one, thank God, has forced you to retire, and we all we all appreciate that. Uh, I have my own business, so you know, other than my wife, nobody's pushing me to retire. Oh, really? <laughs> we need to get into that, but but finish your thought. Uh, so, so, um, but the but for so we have this vibrant group of people able to contribute, desiring to contribute, and frankly needing to work longer. I think the You mean for financial reasons or psychological reasons reasons or both? No, financial reasons Mm -hmm. because of the the recession. I mean, Mm. you know, the longest recession in history, it happened to hit this group of people in their pre-retirement years, and so wiped out home values, savings, Mm. and, you know, people were drawing down their 401ks. So it it's it was the wrong event to the wrong group at the wrong time. So this and is now reverberating still. Here we are. Absolutely. Uh, sometime after that. You don't simply rebuild that wealth or those savings or whatever. So Not if you're not working. No. And so people need to work mm-hmm. and and they need to work to the extent they can in quality jobs with decent benefits, et cetera, et cetera. They they don't need what I what I, it's not always true of second act jobs, but a lot of second act jobs come with fewer benefits, lower pay, et 
cetera, et cetera. So they, so so our sweet spot yes. really is focusing on let's let's do all those things for people who leave the workforce, but let's focus on asking companies to change the way they treat their aging workers. And I'll just say quickly, as as you know, mentioned in my bio. I started working on flexible work issues in 1986, and when there was a pioneer, no, Paul, you were. <laughs> yeah, well, and yes. there's no such thing. I mean, people would look at you with a blank stare when you talked about working from home or flex time. What? Right, I remember those <laughs> days. So, you know, we made great progress on those things. We also, at that time, talked about phased retirement. But it never took off. Well, you didn't have the baby boomers at retirement yet. That's right. And the, the People didn't care because worked. it wasn't affecting them yet. That's right. It was young women with kids who were the driving force for right. flexibility. This is, now it's kind of the boomers' time to push for flexibility in this fashion. So yes. we're focused on, you, you mentioned, you know, basically two things. There's this gap. There's a wonderful little graphic in our on our website you can see that's, from a SHRM survey where... That's uh, the Society for Human Resource Management for those folks who don't know that. That's right. And your website, we're talking about respectfulexits.org? Respectfulexits.org. And there's a wonderful little graphic that's from a a SHRM survey um, in which 64% of workers 50 and older expect to work longer and ease into retirement. That's their goal. 5% of employers offer that kind of program. There's a disconnect there. And what we argue is it's important for us to pay attention to both sides of the gap, that employers need to rethink um, how they treat their aging workers, their assumptions, to extend work, to offer ongoing flexibility, to provide ongoing financial wellness counseling to employees so that people, you know, they, there used to be defined benefit pension plans. Those have gone away. There are 401ks. People need to pay attention to those. We all should, but we should all, you know, go on our diets. We pledged to this year too. But <laughs> so companies should provide some support around retirement planning. So there's simple. There's a simple agenda we lay out that we work with companies in terms of education, conferencing, etc. For employees, we are actually this is propitious because next Monday mm-hmm. we are launching uh, a new website called the Phaser. P H A Z E R. Yes, you have information uh, about it at respectfulexits.org. Correct. And it's essentially, I've, I've taken all that I know about how you get a flexible work arrangement in a company and how you do that in particular with phase retirement. And we've put it into this website as essentially a self help tool. Nice. So that anybody out there who wants to make a proposal for any of a number of forms of flexible and phased retirement to their employer can do it competently, hopefully confidently, safely, um, and make the pitch. All right, so uh, there, I, I'm, before we get into some of the details of what you offer with Phaser, great name, by the way, because um, it sounds like a laser, like you're going to cut into something. And you'll, you'll recognize the lightning bolt on the logo. Okay. Uh, the, um, what are some of the, the, the psychological consequences of this gap that you just identified between what employers expect and what employees you know, are hoping for with respect to um, you know, th- their, their movement into uh, post-work life? There's, 
been sort of an eruption almost of articles in the last quarter, uh, in, the, in the last part of, of 2018, uh-huh. in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, pieces about this whole problem of, um, of premature, what we'll call premature retirement, people being okay. forced out. Um, and if you, you know, typically those, those articles will generate comment lines of between three and 300 and 1,000 comments. Um, hmm. in a post and you read them and they're just literally hundreds of stories and the common theme is essentially somewhere in my late 40s um, early 50s they, I began to be treated differently hmm. um, I, I was um, sort of sidelined in terms of future development I didn't get training I wasn't offered promotions um, and then with sort of increasing um, volume and frequency, I started hearing the message, you know, maybe it's time for you to be looking for something else. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you've pretty much done your best work here. Or sort of the beginnings of subtle uh, clues to, hey, how about how about you pack your bags and move on? Or not so subtle. Or And, and, and that up to not so subtle, mm-hmm. and then, hey, here are your bags. But, mm-hmm. but underneath, and you read these comments and you talk to people, there's a a tremendously it's sort of like a slow series of ongoing negative performance reviews <laughs> you and your and your morale begins to sink your self-concept begins to suffer um and and you start thinking well you know maybe these things are true maybe i mm. have lost the step maybe i'm not as sharp as i used to be you know maybe i'm not able to keep up with these young kids. Well, you know? all that may be true. That doesn't mean you don't have value to bring. That's right. And and so there's a there so you you asked the, the psychological I think what happens mm-hmm. is there's an over internalization of those things, precisely along the lines you're saying. It's it goes beyond just saying, okay, so I'm starting to get this negative feedback. It you start devaluing yourself. Mm. And then, and what does that um, look like then? To to the I mean, how do we how, what kinds of symptoms arise as a result of that devaluing of oneself? Depression. People, you know, people get various forms of of depression, lethargy, and the real the real challenge is that then what what you're faced with practically is you now need as an older person facing a world where we know there's age discrimination or age attitudes toward the older people. You're, you're about to go out and try and job search, which is always a terribly hard thing to do. At any and age. At any age. Mm-hmm. And you're going out sort of feeling devalued, um, underappreciated, um, <clears throat> perhaps not so energetic for the task. Mm-hmm. And you're facing, I, I remember reading just yesterday, I was looking at a congresswoman who's kept a file. She's, she's sent out 700 uh, resumes and uh, app job applications. She's interviewed forty times for jobs and not gotten any offer of employment. Well, is is that in part because younger people are cheaper? Yes. Uh, well, it, it's a number of things. It's the it's the the assumption that younger people are cheaper. Now, uh-huh. okay. now as a you you revealed your I'm I'm seventy three, so uh, I Dang. I'm, I'm I'm allowed my occasional cranky comment. So. I, I think younger people definitely are cheaper, and sometimes they're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you got that, Jeff? I'm looking. I'm looking at our 28 year old uh, sound engineer and producer right now. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Jeff. <clears throat> yeah, he's Not worth personal. more than he gets, but that's another matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there but, is the there is the uh, there is per- 
perceived, yes, it's perceived that they're cheaper. It, there's also this great mythology, and that, this is my favorite, actually. There's this mythology that's growing out there, especially as, we, as tech invades every sector of all of our lives, mm-hmm. that only young people are tech savvy, and old people just can't figure out anything. Well, and my, that's not true, actually, you're saying? It, it, not only is it not true, but just think about it for a second. You're, you're, you've been around a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are older workers who have integrated between 20 and 50 different technology systems into their organizations and made them all work. Different word processing systems, mm-hmm. different accounting systems. That's all, it's all technology integration. Yeah. My, my kids... A transferable right? skill, you're yeah. saying, right? That's right. Yeah, because it's, it's how do you integrate systems into organizations is important. Right. You can buy an iPhone, take it out of the box, and it works. Cool. When you, buy, when you buy the new version of an Excel spreadsheet system and you have to integrate it into a company of 2,000 people, you better have a broad range of skills beyond knowing how mm-hmm. to open a box and unpack something. And yet, and yet, as you said earlier, the, the skills of people who've been around tend to be devalued. So how does Phaser deal with that? How, how do you, how let's let's start to get in before we get to the break. Let's start to get into what what your your primary advice is in so here, this phaser program for, the, for the, the phaser model grows out of my work over the years in flexibility. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the the original flex the first person who got to work from home or the first person who got to do flex time got that by making a proposal to their boss to be able to do that. Right. And when I started New Ways to Work, we had a library of proposals, a 75-page proposal somebody had made about doing a 30-minute flex time exception, <laughs> and based on European wow. research and all. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. Was it a successful proposal? Yes, and, and it worked well. You know, uh-huh. so so eventually it became programmatic. And but but the, the premise always, what I've always said to people is, don't don't talk about your great knowledge or your great value or your great whatever. If you want to do something different than what you're doing, then, then, ex- then convince your boss that there is value for him. Right. There, his success, the work of your group, your own performance, will be enhanced by what you're proposing. Don't talk about what you exactly. need, you know, your personal life and all this other. We, we took the reason out of that process. Yeah, Mike. well, that's smart because really nobody gives a hoot no, about, about your issues. What they want to know is what value you're bringing to us, and that's legit. The great, the great, you know, the the greatest acronym in American life is WIFM. You know, W I I I F M. What's, What's in it for me? Yes. <laughs> and yes. so we start from the premise of of so okay, if you think you have valuable knowledge that the company can't afford to lose, then you'll see in the phase that we we put people through a process yeah. of quantifying and qualifying the knowledge they have. Why is it unique? Why is the loss of it when you walk out the door going to hurt the company? How can you capture it and share it through mentoring, through seminars, through mm-hmm. database? Uh, how do you do knowledge transfer? Um, and you're willing to put that process on the table in exchange for having the ability to work longer and to phase out on your terms. Right. So it's and, uh, the way I think of it is, um, you know, I, I teach about integrating the different parts of life as a leader in all of them. And what you have to do as a leader, of course, is bring others along with you. And that means understanding how other people see you and what you bring to their lives to improve their lives. 
knowing in the back of your mind what it is that you need to make things better for you. But the the process of bringing other people along with you must start with the value that you're bringing to them, and that's exactly what you're doing with right. with Phaser. You're helping exactly. people and to I see. Think, Please, and, and, I, no, no, and I think that what what you know, I to, to connect the dots. I think I think companies that are really recognizing that they need to capture this uh, this valuable piece of the workforce and rethink how companies can set up the framework and, and do a program that allows people to do this individually. Oh. But, but if a company doesn't want to do it, yeah. it doesn't mean an individual, just like the old days of Flex, doesn't mean an individual can't make the case and um, get a good... Because the, the only phase retirement that exists in companies right now, if you do either survey or focus group, yeah. is one-off deals made between a manager and a valued employee that they don't want to lose. Hmm. When they've figured out that, oh, I can't, you know, I can't lose this person, they'll strike a deal. Well, you, you can help your manager see that they should strike that kind of a deal. With well, you. not only that, you, I would say it's incumbent upon you to do that. I think so. And it, but, it does require you getting, you know, it, it, you have to get out of the any sort of sense of victimhood exactly. or passivity and say, either your future is in your hands, and we're trying to put a tool in your hands that will help you craft a better future. That's that simple. So we're, we're going to have to take a short break here in a minute, but um, I, and when we come back, I want to make sure we get some examples of people who have done this successfully. But I, I, I want to start, though, with how you help people overcome this sense of uh, feeling victimized, like, gosh, darn it, what's wrong with these people that they don't respect me anymore, they don't value my mastery of my content area or my ability to you know, teach other people? Why isn't that valued? This sucks. They're, these guys are terrible. I feel awful. I'm not going to do anything but just pout. I mean, how do you get people to think instead of themselves as leaders, as people who are responsible for affecting positive change in their world and to really come forward in a proactive way with proposals for change? Well, I think we have actually a, a great example. I don't mean in any way to, to piggyback or demean, but I think yeah. I sometimes say what, we're, what, what we need is an us-to movement for aging workers. Oh. Um, that is... People, people, it's always when people get out of their individual um, complaining state and get together with like-minded people and say, hey, this isn't my problem, personally. This is not my failing. This is something that's happening to us as a group, mm. and we need to act together All right. to support each other. Paul, um, you were talking before the break about the Us Too movement. Can you just elaborate a bit on how that's playing out in your world? And then I want to get into some examples of how people can make pitches, proposals to their bosses, to their work teams, uh, and to overcome the psychological hurdles that they might face in being able to do that, to make to make their first act a longer act rather than moving into uh, a second act that might not provide them with the financial resources they need. Sure. Um, I you know, I, I, I just jokingly refer to it as us too, but I, I think you know my my premise over the years of doing this work around flexibility is, you know, we all do our better our best work together rather than separately, and that if mm -hmm. um, when when people feel like they're facing a, an insurmountable challenge alone, when they get together with like-minded people, and you know, 
they they can reinforce each other's strengths mm-hmm. and help overcome each other's weaknesses. It's a classic from, uh, you know, it's happened uh, this in this past year. We saw it. Uh, you know, we saw what happened in uh, in Parkland after the shootings, uh, where where kids instead of mourning separately organized together and decided that they were going to go out and make a change. And mm-hmm. they took their grief and turned it into, um, you know tremendous activity Mm -hmm. we see it in the me too movement where people had suffered you know feeling shamed and isolated as individual victims when they finally came together um you know gave each other and got strength from each other um that enabled them to then push the issue forward so in the same sense as a general thing we we want people to begin to view this as a social question and and an organizational question Mm -hmm. as well as an individual one and practically, we in our in our work we we talk about the 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 idea of of what we call longevity forums, that there be value in people inside companies or in some combination of communities and companies, getting together and beginning to look at these problems together and talk about how they can work with their employers. Wow. So how would you how would you form a longevity forum? Because I can imagine some people might feel like embarrassed or. You know that there's a stigma still in our society for, as opposed to you know, revering people in the senior years. They are still not held in the same value or regard as they are in most other countries around the world. Uh, so, how do you help people overcome this? The you know any inhibitions like that that they might well, have in organizing. Sort of an interesting thing that's evolved in companies in the last couple of years, which you're probably mm-hmm. familiar with, what, what are called intergenerational. Um, employee resource groups or intergenerational mm-hmm. work processes, whatever, where people are bringing, trying to bring together the the older generation and the younger generation. Some of it's a little condescending and you know teaching the old people how to talk tech or whatever, but, but some of it. But it but the issue of you age, press the button, which is the button. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But but uh, but some, but it has raised the issue of age in a more acceptable form for conversation inside uh-huh. companies. So in some cases, out of that context, a group of the older folks may say, you know what, we we ought to be getting together ourselves and talking about some of these issues. We take the view in all of this that, that there is no, this does not have to be an antagonistic issue between employers and employees. Mm-hmm. There is great benefit for employees in extending uh, and having more flexible work lives. There's great value for employers who know how to do that well. And so to the extent that they can come together and, and help teach each other yeah. and learn from each other. It makes perfect sense. That, it's a great plus. So, so no, who's doing it well? Can you point to specific examples of companies that really you're aware of? It's in the very early stages. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to point out. I, I, I've had conversations with some companies that are okay. sort of extreme. But they're, you're, you're quite right. I mean, it, it is a sensitive topic. There is a whole both a legal set of issues about mm-hmm. companies not being able to probe people about their retirement mm-hmm. intentions that they have to be careful about. Mm-hmm. So age is a delicate matter in companies. Mm-hmm. But what we're suggesting is that um, that like-minded people, um, you know, mm-hmm. who start... One scenario that we can envision is that you, you've got... You, you, get a, uh, you go look at the phase and say, hey, this is a great idea. One of the things we say in the toolkit is, look... You need to understand that there's risk in making a proposal like this. You're not just asking somebody for flex time. You know, you're actually 
A, you're raising your hand and saying you're interested and you're thinking about retirement. And once you've done that, then, you know, you could be making yourself a mm-hmm. candidate for an earlier round of retirement than you hope for. Mm-hmm. So you need to be thoughtful. One way to help protect yourself from that consequence is find, a, you know, get together with other people who are thinking about the same thing and seven or eight or six or five, you know, get together. All of you do proposals and make your proposals together. Hmm. So you mean um, to do this kind of surreptitiously or on, no, you know, no, off? to do it openly? Um, I had a very interesting call. You may you may know Carol Evans, yeah. uh, of Working Mothers. Sure. Carol has done work with us mm-hmm. over the last year, and you know she she used to give the advice to women when they were um, making unpopular proposals on uh-huh. parental leave or whatever. Never go into your boss with a proposal alone. Always take at least five women with you. Your posse. Yeah, take a posse, <laughs> and it, it's not. You know, Why is that necessary? Why not go in there? I'm on my cane. I'm going in slowly. Oh, my back is killing me. Hey, boss, you got a minute? You you don't do that, is what you're saying? You're, yeah, you're probably making an argument against your your prospects for longevity. <laughs> I, I think you know. And again, it's not as a hostile. It's simply to say, look, there. I'm not the only person dealing with yeah. this problem. This is there's there strength in us, numbers. There are many of us who are wrestling with. There's strength in numbers. You know, we'd like you, you know, we we would like you to consider this for us, but we think the company should really be thinking about looking at this for everybody. Right. And and again, not everybody gets to do what they want. Just because you of make course. A, in our toolkit, they're like, we spell out five different options you can request. Okay, what are they? Um, well, one one is to continue working full-time, but on a more flexible schedule. Okay. Genuinely, so that you really have the ability to work from home a couple days a week, or you have the ability to really do serious flex time, so that for people for whom the commute becomes harder as they're older, mm-hmm. um, that to accommodate that. Or simply, you know, to make life more pleasant. Um, there's a tendency to think about flexibility for younger workers, for people with young families. Sure. But... Um, it also is equally valuable for older. So one is simply say, I, I would like more a more formal ability mm-hmm. to do this kind of flexible schedule. Okay, a second, so that's one. A, a second would be what was classic phased retirement, where the proposal is that you slowly reduce your percentage of work time over a period of several years. So uh-huh. you, you're 100% now, you go to 90% in year one, 80% in year two, eventually you, you, know, you fully okay. retire. The third is partial retirement, in which you otherwise gets called pick and stick. You know, you you pick a. I'd like to cut to eighty percent. I'd like to start working four days a week for the next couple of years, as opposed to full time. So that's another variant. Um, there's then the option of 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 what we call voluntary contracting, um, and a lot. If, if you dug, I mentioned to you that number of five percent of companies have formal programs. And I said that number's probably inflated. The, if, you, if most companies tell you they do phase retirement, what they're saying is, with based on a manager decision, we allow select people to mm-hmm. leave, mm-hmm. to retire, and then we bring them back as contractors without benefits. Um, but, but that's all on our terms. We decide to retire them, then we decide to bring them back, and we set the terms. We argue there's nothing wrong with that. It's better if that's done on a voluntary and more equal basis. So you can propose, hey, I'd like to retire. 
and then I'd like to come back three days a week as a contractor on these terms, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine, too. It has more protection for you, Uh um, uh, et cetera. It's sort of leveling the playing field a bit. um, th- those are the those are the primary the main options. options. So and then the other the other is simply to make the argument, um, uh, what we just call the extended work argument, which is, you know, normally in this I I have um, a, a client, longtime client around flexibility stuff, and I was talking to this woman who's sixty two, and I one of the things we one of the five points in our in our corporate longevity agenda is to end the 65 as a sell-by date. You know, you're not done at 65 automatically. There shouldn't be formal retirement, right. nor should there be informal retirement. And so I asked her, I said, so do you guys, do you guys have a formal retirement age? She said, no, no, we, we, we don't. We got rid of that a couple of years ago. I said, do you have an informal retirement age? She says, yes, it's 62. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, how, how do you know that? She said, because you start getting messages when you're 61, and they get really intense, and by the time you're 62, yeah. it's pretty clear. It's That's pretty formal, it sounds like. <laughs> right. It's, so It's, quote, informal. So, so you can simply make the argument, I don't want to reduce my time. I simply want to have an understanding that my, I can, contribute, can continue to contribute value in my role, or I can change roles or do... There's an interesting... One one option within that is a fun thing which we developed with a client, where it's it's called the offload option, offload. where you continue you continue to work full time, but you get rid of either or both your your supervisory responsibilities I see. and your travel responsibilities. So you you reduce the uh, you reduce, you the reduce scope. The, yeah. So so the the core work mm. remains the same, but you you know you. Uh, pass off those but in, in all of these uh, these options it's the the responsibility really is on you as the employee to make the case so what what are the first steps that people should be thinking about taking and when do you start to actually formulate these ideas for how to how to make uh, proposals that are going to be effective and get feedback on them, share them with colleagues, friends, family members who might help you to bolster your arguments and and to you know build your confidence really in, in being able to create a proposal and be flexible about you know it perhaps not working out exactly as you want, but getting you know something closer to what it is that that you need. I think the answer is in part in your question. I, I think that I think the you you start to undertake this when you begin to feel like either I'm 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 getting messages that are starting to to point me toward the door and I need to take some action mm-hmm. if I want to keep working here um, in this in this role um, and so whenever that happens I, I uh, you know it's in in some industries like tech that happens when you're 35. Right. So, um, and then what do you do once you start to feel like, so, oh, wait a minute, I better start taking more control of my destiny here or somebody else will. What do yeah, I do? So again, in the tool, we have sort of a step-by-step. Part of it is you do an environmental scan. So, okay. okay. Is this, you know, are, are the attitudes in this organization such that it would, that they might be receptive to this kind of proposal? And more specifically, is my manager somebody to whom I can make a sensible proposal and he'll hear me out. Oh, right. If, if the answer to that is this place is as rigid as can be, yeah. they've never allowed anybody to do anything flexible, they're not going to start now, then you should start looking for another job while you've got one. <laughs> you know? 
we're, okay. we're not we're not encouraging kamikaze missions but mm-hmm. but but if the environment in most cases has got some openness then i think you're absolutely right you you take the the, the elements we walk you through about um, you know looking at your job breaking it down one, one of the things we we do a component which we call one of the big things you'll hear uh, and you talked about it at the outside of the show oh, older workers are more expensive you know that's why you know and so that's something people are mindful so we we strongly encourage if you're going to propose that you reduce your schedule then what you ought to do is show them when you work on a reduced schedule you're going to get rid of the lowest value work, and you're going to hold on to the highest value work. So they're going to be literally getting more for their dollar. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I I did this in a focus group once uh, to test this this tool. And I said, can you guys take, uh, it happened to be a group of all men, 12 of them. And I said, could you take like five minutes and look at your job and see if you can identify 20% of the work you currently do that yeah. you can stop doing without any negative impact. <laughs> I'm sure that was probably pretty um, easy for most people. And the first guy raises his hand. He says, you only won 20%? Wow. <laughs> so, so, and they all so it's not hard to, to cut out 20% of what you currently do. That's right. And and to take those things that you've been doing just because you've always been doing them and, no, you know, you're producing something that nobody mm. ever reads or, you know. So, hmm. um, so you basically... Um, you know, you you go through that and you identify why you're so darn valuable. I mean, if you if I always say if you think you're so smart and they can't afford you lose lose you, prove it. Yeah. <laughs> Demonstrate to them what it is they're going to lose. So when you, when you tell that to people, what do they say? Like, uh, or or do they rise to the challenge? Most of them. Or? My experience is people rise to the to the challenge, and again, we we try to provide as much support within the tool and then probably at some point we'll do you know on online supports of sorts uh-huh. but but i think people you know people will one of the reasons we put the ball in the in the hands of the employee is managers never really know what their employees do on some level at, at a granular level you know they kind of know the job they know what they're recom- but only the employee really can analyze their their work and say, "This is the useless stuff I could stop doing. Mm-hmm. This is this is what I know that you don't know. I know <laughs> that because I I talked to a, a woman who had just supervised the layoff of a whole tier of senior wow. sales mm-hmm. di- uh, district salespeople, mm-hmm. and they just fired them all at fifty five, cleared them out. And I asked, I said, Do you, I said I, I worked with your company for you. I know those guys." I said, do you know what you just sent out the door? And she said, well, yeah. She said, you know, they, uh, we need some new blood, and they were expensive. expensive. assets. What would you say? Expensive assets. Expensive assets. And I, and I said, do you have any idea what those people knew? And these are people who had built territories in a very competitive business, two or three states. They knew every customer mm. in three states. That's a lot they of knew, value. They knew the pricing points. They knew who were friendly customers who were medium, who were hostile. So wh- what's your point here, Paul, that, that most managers de- undervalue what, what their people bring and that they should be smarter about that? Absolutely. They should They should do a far better job of understanding Why what don't the value they? is. Um, Why did this person disregard the potential loss, uh, the, you know, the profound impact of the potential loss, uh, of the loss that she was incurring by simply firing all those over 55 on that sales team. Sadly, the, the, I think the major, the major pitiful explanation is, is distraction. 
so she's wow. got so much stuff on her plate that right. she can't think about anything that's on her plate. Yeah. Really, mm-hmm. in any depth. Um, you know, and secondly, you know, the order has come down. We need to cut costs, and you know, well, here's the easiest way to cut costs is to get rid of ten people that cost two hundred thousand a year, as opposed to twenty five people that cost sixty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, so if I lop off these heads, you know, it's a lot easier. Um, that's not a, a the function of a brilliant organizational analysis. Um, right. <laughs> but but people respond to you know um, I just talked to someone actually someone you would know who who ran a very very robust great work life section of a company and there's a new CEO and the HR person wanting to please that CEO said let's get rid of we we need to cut some overhead so they destroyed this 30 year old department that had been incredibly effective. Because it saved them two and a half million dollars a year. Um, it's not clear that he, this new CEO knew about it or cared about it, um, or that's how he would want to save it. But you know, so there's a lot of meat axe decisions that get made um, without benefit of thinking. Uh, Paul, we are nearing the end of our time here. We only have about a minute or so left. What What's the main message you want to leave listeners about uh, what they need to be thinking about and doing? to be effective in managing the the later stages of their career as they look to extending, if that's what they want to do, if that's what if, they need to do, extending their first act rather than jumping into a second. If you, it, It's up to you to have a realistic perception of what's, going, what's happening to you and what's going to happen to you and to take matters into your own hands. Your employer is not going to take care of your future. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. You shouldn't expect them to. Um, you, they have a different job. Your job is to take care of you, and the having the having uh, the awareness, having access to the tools, preparing early, um, uh, is the best defense. Will it work in every situation? No, but passivity never works. Right, that's such an important message, and it's one that resonates. Uh, throughout, we've been on the on the air for five years. That's a theme that we hear all the time, and and it's an important one that I want to just underscore. No matter what issue it is you're facing, in trying to create some harmony uh, between work and the rest of your life, it 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 starts really with with you taking a sense of responsibility for trying to create change in in any way that you can. Um, Paul, before I uh, bring us to a close here, there's a question I want to ask everybody this year. Uh, What I'm thinking of is the year of accountability. Uh, So here's the question. Uh, What, if anything, do you do to hold yourself accountable for living and working in accord with your core values? 30 seconds. Um, I... My my framework that I use in my consulting business we call mutual respect, and that's my standard. I I try to treat my colleagues, my clients, um, myself, and I and I try to be respectful in all that I do, and and expect people to hold me to task to act that way. Um, and that's so far worked pretty well. <laughs> uh, it's sometimes demanding, um, but it's a solid. You know, in a certain in a certain way, it's the old golden rule standard. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I think that it's a uh, um, you know having a framework of behavior. There's a set of behaviors that go with that, but yep. that I really try and hold myself to, and I hold my staff to, and they in turn are quite rigorous in holding me to them. <laughs> well, uh, you, you've certainly demonstrated it here in this conversation, and I'm much appreciative of that, Paul. Uh, 
what uh, what can people uh, what, what do you want to tell people about how they can find out more about the great work that you and your colleagues are doing? Best way is just to go to our website, which is uh, respectfulexits.org, and uh, there's all the information, uh, including access to the phaser and all that, and the opportunity to, to join up and get our newsletter and be connected to people and all that good stuff. So um, that's probably the simplest point of contact, and you can reach uh, me or us through that medium. Fantastic. Paul Rupert, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Stu. It's been a pleasure. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paul Rupert and that it provoked your thinking about how you or someone you know can approach the latter part of working life, including how to make meaningful connections to younger generations that are mutually beneficial. Paul's tackling an important issue facing our society, our organizations, and that is the fact that we're living longer but that the standard age of retirement remains at 65 years old. This episode offers food for thought about how seniors can enlist the support of fellow seniors, how to figure out exactly what type of phased retirement you might want, and how to make an effective, compelling pitch for that based not only on your own needs, but on the needs of your organization. So here's a challenge for you, an invitation. Think about what it is that you want as you look to the later years of your career. Are you seeking greater flexibility in the number of hours you work or the days you work, even while continuing to work full-time? Or do you want to slowly ramp down the number of hours you work? Are you looking to offload lower-value tasks and focus instead on where you add the most value? Once you've given some thought to your priorities, to what you care about, what you value most, then think about what this might imply for how you structure your work now, even if you're not right at the cusp of retirement. Let me know your ideas and get in touch with any feedback about the show. I'd love to hear from you. The email is friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or you can connect on LinkedIn. And if you'd like to learn more about improving performance in all parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, mind, body, and spirit, by creating greater harmony among those different parts, you can visit totalleadership.org, where you can find free chapters from all my books and all kinds of other free tools and tips. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit TotalLeadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, 
I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.